happens. <laughs> right. All right. What's up? What's up? Welcome to the Blockument okay, Crypto welcome. Education Through Everyday Conversations. Yes, my name's Nate Talbot. I'm the executive director of Detroit Blockchain Center. And to my right is the Fantabulous <laughs> Ashley Rhodes. I am your everyday gal. I'm a mother and online reseller. And I am here trying to figure out what all of this crypto blockchain stuff is all about. Yeah, you keep saying trying to figure it out, but I think you've you're you're quickly becoming one of the top echelons of uh, crypto blockchain Thank you. information. What a compliment! I will take it. Yeah, well, good, <laughs> good, good. So, give us Ashley's moment here. We're looking at our mempool moment. Yeah. Where are we at right now in the mempool? Okay, we are at block height number 790,749. That is a block size of 1.76 megabytes. Um, that, it, that included 4,246 transactions. Um, all the fees and subsidies included in that were, um, were paid out are 187,684 US dollars. That's 6.97 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And the winner of all of that was Foundry USA. Nice, nice. So I don't remember how many blocks ago. This was last week, though, I believe. Um, a monumental event happened in the Bitcoin blockchain. Are you familiar with it? What happened? Um, are you talking about the, um, oh boy. Has what to do it? with the fees. The, oh, I'm drawing a blank on the word. It starts with a C. Is that, um, nope, I've drawn a blank. So what happened was for the first time ever, the total fees, you just gave us the total subsidy and fees, right? Mm -hmm. So for this past block that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. um, the total fees was $19,379, right? Mm -hmm. But the subsidy, which is one Bitcoin, and one Bitcoin today is at around $26,900, right? Mm -hmm. For the first time ever, uh, we had fees that paid more than the subsidy. Mm -hmm. Usually the miner gets the subsidy that uh, right now 6.25 Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? And that's how that's really where bulk of their money comes from. They don't make a lot from the fees. Like you just mentioned, they made $19,000 in fees mm -hmm. versus 27,000 times six, right? Mm -hmm. For the first time, they got earned more in fees than they made in Bitcoin. Oh. Uh, from the Bitcoin subsidy. That's huge. There's a, there's a long-term debate going on around uh, will... You know, every four years we have the halving, right. so the subsidy drops in half. Yeah. So next year, around next April, the subsidy will go from 6.25 Bitcoin to 3.175 or whatever mm -hmm. half would be at, right? So eventually, they're not going to make any fees. In about 100-something years, there's not going to be any fees. There are no, I'm sorry, there's going to be fees. There's not going to be any subsidy. Right. All there will be is fees. So the question is, are they going to be making enough where it's worth their while? Yeah. 
So with all of the, there's a lot of things happening. Uh, I'll stay agnostic on my opinion on these things, but between like ordinals and BRC twenties, that's the word I was thinking. I don't know why I thought, thought it was C. There's a lot of non-monetary base activity happening on the Bitcoin blockchain these days around this block height. And uh, regardless of how you feel about it, the one thing that's universally true is it drives up fees and the miners should be loving it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it answers, will there ever be enough fee activity to sustain the Bitcoin blockchain? And this gives you a snapshot into what the could be's could be. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty monumental. It was the first time it ever happened in... 700, almost 800,000 blocks now. Yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that is not what we're talking about today, <laughs> although it does tie to it. What we're talking about today is what is game theory? Yes. It's better than Jeopardy. <laughs> it's better than Monopoly. It's game theory. <laughs> so, start us off. What is game theory? Oh, boy. Um, let's see here. Game theory, from what I know, is it's basically like strategies on making next steps um, in like, well, I always learned it from war. So in in like a two party or um, like, I don't know, war games. Okay. <laughs> so it's like it's like it's the decisions that you make strategically yeah that's a a pretty fair assessment (laughs) of it all um right it is it is how do individuals or how do entities act in strategic situations Mm -hmm. right um there are some assumptions you make with it but uh, it's not just sort of where you act in strategic situations but where you also have to take into consideration the actions of others Right, and that's what game theory sort of is. And um, to quickly throw relevance into why we're talking about this on a show that's about blockchain, cryptos, and this entire space, right? Um, it's because game theory is one of the largest drivers of how blockchains work, right? This is it's an economic cent- incentive. We were just talking about the um, fees, right. right, and the subsidy fees. And so part of the game theory of Bitcoin and most proof-of-work proof systems are is going to be how do we economically align, how do we incentivize miners to act and play by the rules and make them feel like it's more economically favorable for them to do that than it is to cheat. Mm-hmm. And proof of stake systems are set up with the exact same question in mind. How do we, how do we align validators and participants to play by the rules of the network and incentivize them to do that where it's more favorable for them than it is to cheat? And now how you go appro- about that approach, that's the whole game. Mm. Right. Um, So it's not actually a game where you have, uh, you know, players and rolling dice or something. But it is a game because you're you're trying to make decisions based on others, other participants. Sometimes, you know, the other participants, sometimes you don't know the other participants, sometimes the other participants 
all want to play the game with you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the other participants only want to destroy you. Sometimes they just care about themselves. Yeah. And so you, how do you figure these things out? And that's the, the basics. If, you, if, if you're running a permissionless blockchain that we've talked about before, right, mm -hmm. where anybody can enter and leave and there is no centralized party to sort of lay out the rules, mm -hmm. then game theory kicks in huge. And this isn't a, this isn't a blockchain-only thing. Uh, game theory's been around for decades. There's an old, well, I'm so young, so I, I'm hesitant <laughs> to call this an old movie, but there's a relatively new movie in my life, <laughs> this man, called um, A Beautiful Mind about John Nash, mm -hmm. right? It has, uh, I think, Russell Crowe in it. Mm -hmm. um, so John Nash is considered, like, the father of game theory, um, so you can go watch the movie and get an idea of sort of the history of game theory. This was like back in the 60s, I think, um, maybe a little earlier, 50s, um, during the Cold War sort of times when uh, John Nash was doing his thing, coming up with the game theory. I would say, I don't want to make this a math conversation, and this isn't <laughs> going to be a math thing. Game theory is a strong economics and math sort of driven thing, but there's plenty of areas where you talk about game theory and you don't have to really get into the math at all. Um, but yeah, it's, I, th I would say he discovered game theory more than he invented game theory because game theory was in play before yeah. he formalized it. Um, so let's talk about it. What is game theory and whatnot? Um, so I think you had it pretty much right. It is how people act, how people strategize, but in the consideration of other players, right? Mm -hmm. um, so let's get a couple definitions out of the way, which I think we just did. What is a game? A game is just looking at a specific model and sort of figuring out how the participants will play out, right? Um, you got players. What are players in the game? And those are just all of the um, people participating in it. But there is usually an assumption made, to my understanding, A, I'm not a game theory expert. Um, again, it's a very deep, deep field, just like I'm not a computer science <laughs> expert. Yeah. Um, or do I give financial advice? <laughs> so <laughs> um, if we talk about systems and their game theory design, we're not necessarily endorsing or saying, well, because the game theory seems good here, you should go buy yeah. some. They're merely observations. Right. We're just... Just two people talking on Chopping it up. talking on your phone or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the thing about players you have to keep in mind is when modeling game theory, you're typically thinking about a rational player, right? And a rational player is somebody who is acting as you would expect them to act. Okay. All right. Um, it doesn't mean they're necessarily, they, that could be, you might expect them to act in a self-interested way. Mm -hmm. You might expect them to act in a very altruistic manner, right? If I'm mm -hmm. talking to a bunch of C-level execs from the top corporations around the world, you would probably expect they're thinking in a very self-interested way, yes. right? They're thinking on behalf of their stockholders versus theoretically, if you're talking to a more altruistic organization like um, the UN 
or some kind of church governing body, whatever, who has the morals of the people mm-hmm. in mind, you would think they would not be self-interested. They would be more in what's best for the community. Theoretically, a politician. <laughs> this is where you see the, this is where you get the rational, right? In a rational mm-hmm. system and in a, in a, some kind of democracy or republic, you would think the politicians would act, they're, they're there to act in the best of the people. Mm-hmm. But you have that conflict because you find a lot, they act in the benefit of themselves. And so when you're uh, voting for somebody, right, yeah. you have to think of the game theory of all that. Is yeah. this person, what, what's their true incentive, things like that. Um, so you have players, and you have what is a game. And uh, the most popular game, example of a game in game theory, uh, when people do talk about it or know about it all, it's called the prisoner's dilemma. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Are you, fam- are you familiar with the game? Um. I think it's where you have two people who like committed a crime and then you put them in separate rooms and um, you try to pit them against each other and like the most sound strategy is to neither one of them talk like like mm-hmm. um, telling each other but then like there could be one of them tells on the other and they get like set free but the other guy gets a more harsh punishment and vice versa or they both telling each other and they both get like crappy punishments yeah so there's a matrix um exactly that's that's pretty much it so you and me do some dirt but with the context right and here's a big thing with the prisoner's dilemma game we don't really know each other Mm. right somebody satoshi nakamoto came out the blue and plucked me off the street plucked you off the street and said i need both of you to go do this for me real quick Mm -hmm. but we don't know each other Mm -hmm. so we go do it we know we did the dirt Mm -hmm. right but then we get caught, like you said, mm-hmm. and just like an episode of The Wire or, or Law and Order, every cop show you've <laughs> ever seen, right? <laughs> right. They uh, um, throw you into a separate room, mm-hmm. and the cop's going to come into me and be like, you know you messed up, right? Mm-hmm. She done already told us everything, yeah. right? And they play that whole game. Yeah. And so here's, here's the game, mm-hmm. right? I can shut up and... If you shut up, we both get one year. Right. Um, I could shut up, but you don't <laughs> shut up, and I end up I getting never. three years, and you go away for free. Yeah. You you get no I'm, time, but now I get three times the amount of time. I'm in there for three years. Right. We could both snitch, but we're both going to do two years each. Mm-hmm. Right? Um. And then the inverse, I could snitch and you could shut up and I get to go free and you get to uh, do the the three years. And so, yeah, what you said is true. If we both just shut up, right, mm-hmm. we do a year, but it's one year. Yeah. Right. So that's the best pick. But that's not game theory. Game theory isn't the best pick. The game theory is what's the best pick thinking about a rational actor in the other room. Right. What I have to consider, yeah, my first instinct is to shut up. But then two things happen. If I shut up and you don't, I'm doing three times the amount, you're walking away, and that's better for you. Right. And so if you think I'm going to shut up, you're probably... Like, if you know the rules, you're probably going to 
say something. Yeah. And just get away scot-free. Yeah. You got no alliances to me. And if I think, no, 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 we talked about it and I trust her, she is going to shut up. Well, now it's in my best interest to snitch. Yeah. Because I know you're not going to say nothing. I get to go away free. Why should I do a year when I can go away for free? Right. Right? So the best pick for me, the best pick for us is for us both to shut up, but I can't trust you're going to shut up. And if I can, why would I shut up? Mm -hmm. So the best interest for me is to snitch. Right. And you're doing the exact same game in your head. Mm -hmm. The best interest for you is to snitch. Mm -hmm. So we're both going to do two years each. Mm -hmm. It's not the best outcome, but that's what, that's the likely probability of what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Game theory. Right. Done. So we'll talk to y'all next week. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> um, Wait, but how does that, okay, so now how does that correlate to like Bitcoin and crypto? All right, so let's go to Bitcoin, right? Um. What I just mentioned with the prisoner's dilemma is called competitive game theory. Competitive game theory, by definition, is, well, by very loose definition, if you go check out the textbook, it might state the word, but the <laughs> intent is the same. Um, competitive game theory is where each player maxim works to maximize their own individual outcome, and there is no ability for the players to make any kind of enforceable agreement. And that's key right there, an enforceable agreement. We might have, Satoshi plucked us up, told us to go do the do this job. Mm -hmm. So right before we went in to do it, we made an agreement like, look, if we get caught, I ain't going to say nothing. You don't say nothing. They don't know nothing. They don't know right. who Satoshi is. So we're good, right? Yeah. Just we're going to shut up. Yeah. So even with that being said, and then we end up in that prisoner's dilemma, I still don't know you. I can't enforce you're not going to say nothing. Right. If you snitch, it's not like there's a, you get rewarded for going against our, right. our our word, right? So that's key in a competitive game situation. There is no enforceable agreement. Right. All right? Stop me if, if I'm like... No, I'm following. I'm following. Right. I'm following. So with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a competitive game. Okay. All right? This is why you hear everybody say, not your keys, not your coins, run your own node, right? Mm -hmm. Even miners have this very selfish aligned incentive to play. Um, Bitcoin is built around, and I say Bitcoin, but proof of work systems in general okay. um, are built around um, a very specific self-interested rule. It's better for you to just play by the rules because... I'm going to play the game. I run my own node, right? And mm -hmm. when when Bitcoin was designed, um, I, I was recently looking through Twitter, and there's somebody who had a misinterpretation of some of Satoshi's early writings where Satoshi was talking about nodes. Mm -hmm. But while Satoshi was involved in Bitcoin actively mm -hmm. that we know of, he... Um, they never, whenever they said the word node, they meant mining node. There was no concept of a non-mining node, mm -hmm. right? A node is just a mining software piece that doesn't actually run the mining. It just does the checking. Okay. Every miner has to check the blockchain. They have to run a node to know the state of the, the, the blockchain. 
but you can check the state of the blockchain without like actively mining. Oh, okay. But that wasn't a concept because ASICs weren't a thing, mining pools weren't a thing, all these things weren't things yet. So it was pretty much like if you were running a node, why wouldn't you mine? Right, right. Right, right. you just do it on your laptop or whatever. He knew one day it would get to a point where you wouldn't be running the thing. But again, the concept of a node that wasn't mining wasn't really a thing. Mm. So that was a tangent. <laughs> um, you got, if you're running a node yep. or you're a miner, right? Okay. Those are the only really two people who mad. There's developers and arguing for developers, but if a miner and a node runner are the only people who really matter because they're running their own software. Okay. Those people aren't trusting anybody. If I run my own node, I don't trust what you say. I don't look at my phone and look at the price of Bitcoin and say, like, oh, that's the price of Bitcoin, or that's how many Bitcoin are circulation, or this is who just won a block. I don't make any kind of assumptions based off this. I'm just trusting whatever party is issuing this number to me. Right. You were just looking at mempool.space. Right. Right. We are looking at the public version of mempool.space. I'm trusting somebody else's node. To deliver. To deliver all of that block height right. information you just gave. Okay. I don't need to trust them. I could run my own node. Yeah. I could use mempool space and tie it to my node. Mm. And that way I'm looking at their interface, but it's my node that's pulling the data from. So it's coming from your node's information. That's all I trust. And when somebody tells me something different, yeah. I'm probably going to think it's garbage. Right. That's a lie. And this is where you sort of survey the rest of the nodes. Mm -hmm. And I start looking at everybody else's. And comparing, it's like, well, 51% or more of the other nodes think I am right. Mm -hmm. I'm right. This is the chain I'm going with. Yeah. It's the longest chain. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. Uh, if I see that less than 51% of other nodes agree with me, then I change my node changes his mind. Oh, I got some bad information. I'm going to go with the majority there, right? Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I play by my own rules. So if you cheat... Me and 51%, as long as 51% of other of us rational actors all agree, like, no, 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 you changed the rules or you're doing something wrong, we just, we ignore you. Hmm. That's it. Right? That's the game theory of Bitcoin. Ignore you being don't let the transaction go through? Yeah, well, it might go through on your end, mm -hmm. but it's the network isn't respecting it, so we ignore it, mm. right? And so let's say a miner, there's there's a lot of talk about 51%, 51% attacks in general, um, but definitely with proof-of-work um, networks. So what's the, what's the worst case scenario in a 51% attack? The miner can double spend their own tokens. Mm. They can't make my transaction change, right? They yeah. can't like, double spend my tokens um they can't do anything with my my tokens because that's with their own just with their own that's okay. what a double spend you can only do your own thing okay um so they can do that they can try to double spend and if they control 51 percent of the network i'll be like this doesn't look right but a majority of rational what i would consider rational people what i yeah. think are rational people <laughs> say you could yeah. double spend so i guess I guess that happened. Yeah. Right? The the transaction they double spent is what happened. My node won't let a double spend happen, but it'll say, Well, I thought I thought Alice paid Ashley mm -hmm. from that Bitcoin, but fifty one percent of the network says Alice paid Bob. So I guess Ashley never got the money. Bob yeah. did. So we my node now took that transaction away from you. You got screwed. Oh. 
but it can't say Nate paid Bob because the miner never controlled Nate's right. signature, his right. private keys. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so the game theory in that is how how is that system aligned to prevent that or have the network respond to it in a way that doesn't harm the overall network? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how the proof-of-work modeling works. This is why everybody needs to run their own node so they can verify their own. If you only have two people running nodes, mining or otherwise, then the entire network trusts them. It only takes one of them to have, you know, if they collude, none of us know anything. Is it likely that a bad actor would have a situation where they're having 51% of Yes, and that becomes dire. And so, again, if you, like, read the white paper and you start thinking about this, this is why I keep saying 51%, and earlier we defined players as rational actors, right? right? So if 51% of the network are non-rational actors, then, yeah, all chaos can start to break loose. But this is why the growth, the the size of a network really matters. Mm -hmm. Um, If there are only five people involved, right, Right. in mining and running their own nodes. Well, that's a very small group of people, right? The game theory still applies, but it's a lot easier for five en- entities to collude than it is for 500 entities to collude, right. than it is for 5,000 entities to collude. And so as long as 51% of the network are rational players, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter that 49% of the network are malicious, non-rational actors. Right. It's, the it's irrelevant. It's them. Right, because we all run our own nodes. Right. Right? So that's how competitive game theory works. I don't care what anybody else is doing. You don't get punished in Bitcoin for cheating. Right? If you're if you're a miner or a participant and you try to double spend or you try to co-opt the network or you try to change the rules or you try to do anything, the network just ignores you. They don't, like, punish you and say, <laughs> yeah. like, you're go sit in the corner. Yeah. There's no need for it because... By nature, I don't trust anybody else. But when you're, I'm having a hard time understanding when you say it ignores you. Does that mean that they get away with their malicious act? No, it means the network ignores the malicious act. So then it, it's not able to like go through. So there's only a couple things you can do, right? <clears throat> you could try to do a double spend if you're a miner, mm-hmm. right? Um, or have a miner on your side that's going to allow it to happen. Um, but you only affect you and their transaction, and my node is only going to recognize one of those transactions. Now, if you control 51% of the network, I'll believe the double-spended transaction. Right. So but the to, to, put, it, to, to put it in regular sort of terms, right, yeah. if I go to Alice mm-hmm. and I want to buy a car from her, okay, I give her, I'm like, here's the money. Here's the Bitcoin. Right. She gives me the car, right? Right. But I've, I control 51% of the network. So once I get the car, I double spend. I take the same Bitcoin I gave her, and I go to Bob and say, hey, Bob, I want to put a down payment on the house in. Mm-hmm. Here's the Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But it's the same Bitcoin I gave to Alice. Right. Right. But I control 51% of the network. I've just spent that same Bitcoin twice. Right. I've already got the car. Mm-hmm. Now, now you, your node sees this activity, right? And you're like, whoa, that can't be right. One of those are a bad transaction. 
if I control 51% of the network, your node is going to be like, well, what does everybody else think? Right. Well, 51% of the people think Nate's transaction with Bob is legit. Mm -hmm. So Alice doesn't get nothing. Right. Alice just got screwed. Right. Only Alice just got screwed. Right? Right. Now, you believed a liar because I co-opted the network. Right. If I don't control 51% of the network and try to do that, no node recognizes that. And so even though I try to pay Bob a second time, if his node believed it, which it shouldn't mm -hmm. because 51% of the network is honest, right. when I try to spend that um, money with Bob, mm -hmm. Bob's going to reject it. He's not going to give me the the deed to the house as a down payment because be he's going like, to be like, you already spent that Bitcoin. You don't have it to give to me. It would be like if you used a credit card or a debit card and it went in and it was like d denied. Right. Okay. Except in that situation, we have a third party doing that verification right. for us. Right, right, right. Game theory is much easier there because you're just trusting Visa or MasterCard or American Express or whoever. Here, there is no third party, so we have to trust the will of the network, the longest chain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um so I can't do the double spend if I don't control 51%. But even if I do control 51%, again, it's only the people I'm interacting with that are affected. Right. I can't go in and say, hey, Ashley spent X amount of money with, with Dave. I want Ashley now to be able to take that same money and spend it with so-and-so because I, I can't control your wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I just verify trans. That's all mine does. They don't go in and control everybody's right. independent signatures. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's how a proof of work system works, and that's why there's no punishment. You just get ignored. If if I'm trying to be that malicious and I don't control 51 percent of the network, now what I can try to do is change the rules so your nodes do respect these other things and allow me to spend it twice. Right. So both Alice and Bob get that same amount of money. But the, again, this is why everybody runs their own node. If I change the rule, how can I change the rule? I can change it, but I now have to co-opt and make every single actor, um, the merchants, the hodlers, the exchanges, um, the developers who are running their own nodes, the block explorers, um, chain analysis. Mm -hmm. I have to make every single participant run my version of the software. Right. This is why there is no universal Bitcoin software necessarily, right? Everybody has to verify their own. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to update. There's no forced updates, right? So even if I change the rules, all I just did was create a fork. And if mm -hmm. I'm the only person living on my fork, sure, yeah. I can do whatever I want to, but yeah. where's the economic value there? Yeah. Nobody else is on my fork. Yeah. And even if I trick a few people to come over, they will eventually come back when they yeah. when they realize what's happening yeah right um, or you get a true chain split like you have with eth and eth classic bitcoin and bitcoin cash you know any of the forks that happen so there is no need to punish i didn't trust you in the first place i don't have to punish somebody i didn't trust in the first place right i expected you to cheat that's why i run my own node mm -hmm. that's why when we do a transaction i look for a confirmation yeah, but that sucks for Alice because she did everything she was supposed to do and still got screwed. Yeah, but only in the event that I 51% attacked the yeah. network. Yeah. Now, you might have 51% attacked the network. I could try to double spend Alice, but if you're not on my side because you control the network, mm -hmm. Alice still doesn't get screwed. Again, it doesn't change my transactions yeah. with her. And for the record, multiple times in Bitcoin's history has usually a mining pool. I think always a mining pool, 
there's been times where they've hit 51% control of the network. Oh, wow. So the pool, now a pool isn't a single ent entity, right? Yeah. Um, it's hundreds or thousands of individual miners contributing to one, so they could all just unplug and go to another pool. Yeah. But there's been times when it's 51% 51, 51 control does not instantly mean attack happened. It just means it could happen if whoever had 51%. Decided to So if everybody in that pool was like, yeah, we want to double spend. Yeah. They could. Yeah. That hasn't happened. But also they wouldn't know who, who each other is, right? Right. Um, but other than that, yeah, yeah. So we're, that's, that's competitive game theory, mm -hmm. right? Now, in contrast to that, there are, there are a bunch of different games you could have. Um, one of those games, the other game that's really used inside of uh, any kind of blockchain, permissionless blockchain system, is called competitive game theory. Right. Have you heard of that? Uh, I have. Um, well, isn't that just where you're looking out for your best interest? Nope. No? No, nope, no. Nope. There's a key difference there. So where with competitive game theory, you have the prisoner's dilemma okay the way to the to think about um um cooperative game theory is called oh, the wait. stag i think you asked me competitive oh well cooperative game theory there's competitive game theory uh -huh. which you just talked about prisoner's yeah. dilemma then there's cooperative game theory okay well i don't know the answer All but right. my guess would be that it's like the the benefit of everybody not just of yourself yeah Okay. <laughs> um, and so the way to think about that, we have prisoners of dilemma for competitive. You have um, the stag, um, the stag game for um, cooperative game theory, and that is instead of being two prisoners, we're two hunters, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to eat, right? Okay. And feed our families. Mm -hmm. Now, by default, if we act in a competitive manner, we could each go hunt a rabbit. But rabbits are small, quick, hard to find, and only will feed one family member. All right? Okay. Um, so we could do it. It's just not the... Um, it's like um, not, not like efficient. It's not like... It's not as efficient. Or you and me could work to... There's stags out there, mm -hmm. right? We could go hunt a stag, but you can't get a stag on your own, and I can't get a stag on my own. But no. together, we could get a stag. Silly question alert: um, Is a stag like a bigger, like a deer? Yeah, think or of like a deer. Okay. <laughs> right. So we could go hunt a deer. Okay. Now, if you and me go hunt a deer, we can't capture it ourselves alone, but together we can get it, and that will triple the output of food. Right. 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 Now, here's the thing. Here's that same sort of matrix on snitch, don't snitch, right? Okay. It's we have to have some kind of agreement situation, a cooperation, where it's like, all right, we're going to agree we're going to work together. Okay. Right? Now, here's the game theory of that. Okay. We can both work together to hunt a stag, get the stag, and both have more food than the other. Um, neither one of us could hunt the stag, and we both end up with just a rabbit. Okay. Or sort of in the the opposite boxes here, it just shifts on who's doing it. One of us could hunt the stag, but it's only one of us hunting the stag and get nothing. Uh -huh. And the other one decides 
I don't want to work with this person. I'm going to go hunt the rabbit. And you walk away with the rabbit. Mm -hmm. So best scenario is we both hunt a stag. We both get the stag. We both get more. We both just hunt rabbits and get less. Yeah. Or we trust each other. But if one of us screws each other, one of us ends up with nothing. The other one at least gets dinner that night. Right? So a big difference in competitive game theory and cooperative game theory Mm -hmm. with the cooperative with the stag situation how do i know even though we agreed just Mm -hmm. like we both agreed not to snitch right how do i know you're not going to screw me halfway through and there's usually the big difference here is there's some kind of enforceable agreement between us Mm. right Mm. maybe it's a contract look we're going to agree to go do this if you go hunt the rabbit instead of the stag I get the rabbit mm. and I have the, the, the state will come in and enforce that for me. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to go hunt a stag. She hunted a rabbit. There's her rabbit. The state will come take the rabbit from you and give it to me. Think of an average lawsuit, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, that's a big difference. So now we're both incentivized to cooperate because if we cheat, we yeah. get punished, right. Right. right? This is more proof of stake, mm. right? Think of how staking works. Um, You have to agree, let's take the Ethereum model of proof of stake, because there's a lot of different flavors, just like there's a lot of different flavors of proof of work. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, let's take the Ethereum just for context. Okay. Um, Ethereum has basically a smart contract. Right. Right? So that would be like the enforceable. Except it's not enforced by law, it's enforced by code. Right, okay. And that I'm going to put in 32 ETH. The gain of that is I'm going to, for putting in 32 ETH, Mm -hmm. I get to be selected in the lottery. Every block is a lottery, right? Mm -hmm. And I might win a lottery, I'll get to validate the block, and for doing so, I'll get get some of the fees from the block, Mm -hmm. plus I'll earn um, whatever block reward or whatever, right? But if I cheat, Mm -hmm. if when it's my turn, if I'm not available, um, or... I try to cheat. I try to do a whole bunch of different variations of whatever the cheating is. Mm-hmm. Part of my stake will get slashed. I'll get punished. Mm. Right? It's not like Bitcoin where if I cheat, I just get ignored. I get punished for it because I entered into an agreement up front. Hey, this I want to play this lottery, and if I win, I will do this. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, here's my punishment. Right? Mm-hmm. Um so now you have this whole cooperative game theory. <laughs> yeah. So now you have this whole cooperative game theory. Um, Bitcoin is like, I don't trust none of y'all. I'm doing my own thing. Proof of stake. Ethereum is more like, you know what? I think we all should try to work together. But in the event we can't work together mm-hmm. and you cheat, you get punished. Make sense? Yeah. Um, now. That's a very high level of it all. Yeah. The game theory goes way more complex. Even in that proof of stake that's cooperative, that piece is cooperative. You're still playing in a grander competitive theory because every validator still sort of have their own self-aligned incentives Mm -hmm. in there. So you could have game theory when you really start to dig into something like Ethereum. You're looking at game theory inside of game theory. Mm. And then when you're talking, looking at the dApps built on top of Ethereum, yeah. you're looking at game theory built inside of game theory built inside of different, and they're all different games that are getting played. And so the challenge 
of all of this mm -hmm. and why game theory is important, not just for looking at the basis of um, like a, a layer one protocol, you have to be looking at a DAP. If you're looking at a DeFi network or something, mm -hmm. um, you got to look at how their game theory applies. How does that align to the game theory of whatever they're built on top of? How yeah. does that align on top of the the um, um, consensus game theory that's aligned? So you, it, wow. it gets really like really complex. Yeah. Right. So somebody might be simple to say it's like, well, you do. It's like the underwear gnome from South Park. It was, it was one of my favorite. <laughs> Are you familiar with them? No, but it's really funny. <laughs> um, just in real short, right? There's these little gnomes going around stealing all the kids' underwear. <laughs> and so the gang goes and tries to find them. Um, they track them down. Okay. Right? And they pin one of the, they, they, they get to one of the gnomes, and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, man, we're collecting under underwear. And he's like, why? <laughs> he's like, well, it's easy. Phase one, yeah. collect underwear. Yeah. Phase three, profit. <laughs> Duh. And he's like, well, what's phase two? Yeah. Hey, Bob. Yeah. What's phase two? He's like, phase two, phase one, collect underwear. Yeah. Phase three, profit. Yeah. Right? They skip. It sounds good. Yeah. But you've skipped a whole key factor. And this is what a lot of these protocols do. Whether you're layer one, layer two, apps, apps, app chains. Yeah. A lot of them. Um. It's why the everything in crypto is a scam. That's not true. Everything in crypto, but most things in crypto aren't well thought through yeah. because they don't think through the full, full game theory. They have good incentives they or good, I'm two, sorry, so they have say. good intentions. Yeah. But a lot of them skip step two, which is really analyzing this game theory piece. Hmm. And so like the last episode we had, what's that, 15, where we talked about tokenomics. Right. The tokenomics go wrong really quick if you're not fully thinking out game theory. And it's not as simple as just like like in the prisoner's dilemma thing. Yeah. Right? You would think like just everybody shuts up. Yeah, but what if they don't shut up? Right. Well, they should shut up. Yeah, but what if they don't? Yeah. Or with Ethereum proof of stake, it's like everybody works together. What if they don't? Right. Well, you slash them. This is a problem with proof of stake when it first, not Ethereum's per se, just the idea of proof right. of stake when right. it came out. Slashing wasn't part of the model. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, instead of spending energy, you could put in for um, you could put in a mistake. And then somebody asked that question. Like, well, what happens if somebody cheats? Yeah. Oh, well, they won't cheat. Why would they cheat, man? Econo economic <laughs> incentives, man. It's like, yeah, but what if they do? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and so they had to introduce slashing, right? Mm. And the same thing. Ethereum is a good example. Um, like, I think proof of stake as a consensus mechanism has some promise. The reason mm -hmm. I don't put 100% in on that, all oh, this is not financial advice stuff, <laughs> but because it gets more complex. The same thing happens when you think about game theory. When you build the base layer of Ethereum, cool, but when you have a dApp, you have that minor extractable value, value right. piece. Right. That wasn't a consideration. It's like a wild card. And Ethereum had already been out for about two years before somebody even realized right. MEV was a thing. Yeah. And then now it's like built onto it, but it's not part of the native protocol. It's a, there's these extra things that weren't thought of. This is all game theoretic thinking, but it wasn't thought of initially. And so you're still sort of building out and building up.
-hmm. and the more complex of a system as you start to evaluate different projects um, for all the Ethereum killers out there. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the, to be an Ethereum killer, it means you had to make a different design, des, design decision. Right. A different game theory. You, well, right. right. Well, yes, you have to think of what the different game theory is, except you don't. You just think maybe people hate fees. Fees should be cheaper. Mm -hmm. We got cheap fees. Yeah. yeah, but why do you have expensive fees? There's a reason fees get expensive. Yeah. And it, to just say, I'm going to force my fees to be cheaper, you're ignoring the game theory of why fees are expensive in the first place. Right. And Ethereum suffered from this. Bitcoin had big fees in the 2017 bull run. Mm -hmm. And even Vitalik was like, oh, any network that has fees over 15 cents, <laughs> like you're... It's just you're a failed project, <laughs> and two years we'll later, yeah, you know you're. They had projects that were running thousand dollar fees. Yeah, at points with NFT mints, just because the game theory sounds good. Yeah, but where's the game theory? Right behind it, and so now you have to figure out a more complex system to address those holes or you have to figure out something different with the game theory to keep fees low and allow a simplistic model yeah. and it gets really complex really really quick but people don't like complex they like the simple answer right 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 cheap fees right Twenty thousand transactions per second right all right at what cost yeah right that's game theory very interesting and that's pretty much the whole thing <laughs> of game theory where did oh. I lose you? Oh boy, where did you lose me? Um, well, I, I back to um, the stag game and hunters and proof of stake and um, the cheating. I don't know why. I, I was just curious to know, like, what is something that they like? How could it be? Like, what is an example of cheating in that scenario? In a in either scenario, either well, and and specifically to. Um, I think we could use like Ethereum or something, yeah. Um, so there's the nothing at stake problem. So with Bitcoin, with a pr just as an example, okay. with a proof of work system, um, you have you have to spend an external resource, right? Yep. In order to obtain the the native token right. the native coin in this case that, like energy right is it well you have to spend it? like yeah energy okay to get monero okay. this is how monero works too right okay. you it, it it requires a different energy resourcing module but basically you're spending energy and for rewarding you for spending that energy you'll get some monero tokens um but it doesn't matter if you hold all the Monero in the world, mm -hmm. that gives you no extra power in how the consensus of the network works. Okay. I could have all the Bitcoin. Yeah. There's 18-something million Bitcoin in circulation. I can get my hands on all of them, all the lost ones, all of them. I have all the Bitcoin. Right. It doesn't allow me any extra favor in the Bitcoin network. Because, because of the nodes, is that? Because of the energy expenditure. Oh, okay. Right. It uses an external resource. Ethereum, on the other hand, proof of stake, mm -hmm. they require um, they require you to obtain the native coin. Well, how do you obtain it? Now, 
in Ethereum's example, if you're going to use a proof-of-stake model, I think they're one of the better ways to do it, which is they started as a proof-of-work mechanism. Mm -hmm. So you went out and had to spend the energy to accumulate tokens. Right. Now that the accumulation phase has ended, they shifted to proof-of-stake, and then you took your tokens you accumulated mm -hmm. and you could put them in. But from this point forward, the only way to accumulate tokens is to buy them. Right. Or earn them, right? Right. But you can't mine them. Right. So it's not as fair of a distribution anymore. The question is, does it need to be as fair of a distribution? This, the network's been out for, what, eight years or so. Um, so the, the nothing at stake problem that I yeah. started this with, this is one of the ways you can cheat, is if I can just buy the tokens with right. some external currency mm -hmm. i just buy the tokens i can put them up i'm using the tokens to they are they are the security model right and so where did i get the, the tokens are made up out of the system okay so the thing that's made up out of the system i'm using to enforce the system so i i invented this system out of nothing mm -hmm. and out of that nothingness i have a coin yeah and with that coin, I can now use that to enforce the system. I'm yeah. using nothing to enforce nothing. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nothing at stake. Yeah. Um, and that becomes an issue. That's an attack vector if it's not addressed. Would that be, I'm just trying to follow here, would that be like if you like kind of like made your own? Like well, yeah, this is what a pre-mine is. This is what pretty much, every, again, why people are like 99% of projects um because if i'm going to start nate coin today right i build my protocol i need some initial tokens i pre-mine them i invent them out of thin air right or then i say well i'm the development team so i get 40 percent <laughs> mm -hmm. of the token supply right, right. and then i'm going to issue or 50 percent however much percent right the developers get 40 percent the vcs get 30 percent and then the rest go to whoever yeah right what did it take to create all those tokens nothing no, nothing yeah Nothing's at stake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then speculation drives up price. Mm-hmm. But if I'm cheating, what did it cost me to cheat the system if I got all the tokens for free right. up front? Right. Right. It cost me nothing. Nothing, yeah. Because right? you just delegated them. Right. So how do you get the, if you're going to do a staking system, how are you going to take your tokens and assign some kind of base value? Now remember, I don't believe in intrinsic value as a as a uh, equator of what price value. or something value should be. But well, what if, what if what if instead of delegating the coins, if like some project was like, okay, everyone has to buy in, even if even me as the person who's like making this. Right, that could be one thing. You have to run through the game theory of that. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. For you, there like might be a work, but how would somebody, how would, a, how would A, a rational actor in that whole scenario, how, what's the best incentive for a rational actor who's only looking to benefit economically from that? How could they exploit it? Playing mm -hmm. by the rules, how could they exploit it mm -hmm. and screw you, another user, right? Are there projects out there like that that are like actually like considering like the game theory or I think I think tons of projects consider the game theory. I just think most projects suck at it. <laughs> okay. Because you're either 
So computer theory is like a very strong economic thing if you're a really big economist mm -hmm. who specializes in it, mm -hmm. and it's deep in computer science. If you're like a computer science engineer, not a coder. I'm not saying coders don't get game theory, but if you have somebody who just understands how to work Python or okay. Rust, some, some computer language, mm -hmm. just because you can write code doesn't mean you get game theory. It's a much deeper level of computer science than you are as a coder or even a lot of times a programmer. Mm -hmm. um, it gets into engineering tasks. And, you know, it's easy, like me. I'm not saying I can think out, I know the answer, I can look at every single system. Um, I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a deep economist. So I know very base level game theory. Um, so if I'm going to design a system, I'm trusting my knowledge of the game theory. And if it's not that deep, right. you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I think that's where a lot of projects run into a problem. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they don't know. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phase one, collect underwear. <laughs> Phase three, profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's, that's just sort of where it is and what it is. Um, anything else? Um, no, I think... I think I think that's all my questions on this so far. I'm like surprising myself that I'm following so well. Okay, well, let's test that. What is game theory? Game theory is um, the strategies uh, that players use to make decisions um, in a rational thinking situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. No, was it wrong? Yeah, that's pretty right. I mean, you were pretty right to begin with. Yeah. The key thing I would think you're still missing on both ends is you have to take into consideration how other players will act. It's not just your own decision. Right. right? right it's right. not like what works best for me. Now, the, the, the key to good game theory thinking in every model of game theory that I'm aware of is being able to expertly put yourself in somebody else's shoe. I know this is best for me, mm -hmm. but after you finish rationalizing, like the prisoner's dilemma, mm -hmm. you rationalize, well, if we just both shut up, and if we shut up, and if I shut up, so it's best to shut up. So now you've just put your logic on every other yeah. player. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that. You so have to take that extra step. The, so the strategy, the strategy of knowing how other players, how other rational players will react, yeah. In in any situation. Yep. In a given situation. That's I think is a good summary of game theory. Okay. Yep. And then your security person comes in and says, "Yeah, but what if they're not an irrational player? What if you're a nation state who just wants to attack the network?" Uh, okay, so that actually is one of the I forgot that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. Yeah, what happens if like someone cuz there's a lot of irrational people. Mhm. Mm but so, this like, is what happens? I think the the earlier example I brought up of Mev particularly with ETH. Mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, that's not a nation state, but that's, there are things that are just going to be unforeseeable, mm -hmm. right? And so how do you address that model? And I think it's still a huge debate in, in any kind of network that has economic activity. Bitcoin doesn't really have too big of a MEV problem because it only does base layer money. Monero doesn't have too big of a MEV problem because it only does base layer money, right? Um, there's not a lot of areas to extract. It's just party A sent money to party B. Mm -hmm. Done. Yeah. There's no MEV to pull from that. But once you get more complex, any system that does something more complex than that, mm -hmm. you start to see MEV. Um, and that was an unforeseen 
thing, just like an HSA attack. So now it becomes, can you make the adjustments to the protocol? Here's a new, a new um, scenario. Have you ever, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> no. All right. Me neither. For the record, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's part of like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. The 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 game master will throw a different equation into the mix yeah. you think you got it all figured out and they're like yeah but now yeah. it's raining meteors yeah right yeah um when that happens how do you adjust that strategic thinking yeah and then how do you apply those to the rule set so especially in a decentralized system right yeah. without a third-party verifier right. how do you change the protocol rules to address that vector yeah. Right? Because now that's just another, now it's a rational, even an irrational actor become a rational actor once you understand their, once you've lived in their shoes yeah. and start to understand their motives. Yeah. Now you can apply that and change the protocol to address that if possible or change something yeah. in, in it to make it possible. Or you have sort of a failed protocol. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So it can get deep. And there's way more deep conversations. Um, like I said, you have games inside of games inside of games. Yeah. How does a protocol like Ave, who does lending, yeah, they have to take game theory into consideration for themselves, but then they ha they can't just base it off of a typical lending borrower because they have to also think about the incentives with you know the Ethereum protocol or the layer two they're sitting on. Um, I've have. I don't have a strong case against it. I just have this gut feeling. I have a problem with liquid staking. Mm. You know, the idea of staking, right, is to put, to force a participant to remove the economic value of their native token or coin mm -hmm. and put it into this system to help validate the system. Mm-hmm. Right, the cost of me doing the cost of me doing it with a proof of work system is I have to expend, I have to find energy and expend resources to exert energy into the system to participate. Right. The cost of a proof of stake is I have to remove my economic value. Right. The mm -hmm. the economic opportunity cost, I should say, I have to remove the economic opportunity cost and lock that into this system. Right. And in in exchange for that, I get a chance to validate blocks. I can make additional um, economic value because you're getting a, uh, an incentive with the, with the APR and all that. Mm -hmm. um, with, with liquid staking, mm -hmm. that now allows me to put a stake into it, be right. able to participate, but now I can treat my receipt, right? Mm -hmm. That staking receipt, mm -hmm. I still get the economic incentive. Yeah, I feel like without having any, I, I'm still thinking through and trying to find people to debate with me on this. So hit me up on Twitter or something <laughs> if you if you want to. I'm very open to it. I, I need you've removed that economic stake. Now I'm back to the nothing at stake problem. Yeah. Because so what I lose my so what I get slashed. Right, I got my receipt. Got, as long yeah. as there's somebody out there I can sell my receipt to for the same face value. Right. What have I lost? Right. Right. I completely agree. So. I think that's a hole that's not being seriously addressed that I know of right. in any proof-of-stake system. This is not an Ethereum, any proof-of-stake system. Um, I think that's something that has to be addressed, mm -hmm. or at least I hope it gets explained mm -hmm. to me in a way where I understand the way. And that way I can show you. I don't know, no, no, no. I used to think that same silliness. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Um, so yeah, these are all, but that's a game theoretic thing. Yeah. Again, game theory. Right. There's nothing you're touching in this system, no matter what you're building or doing, that isn't part of game theory. If you're not thinking about game theory, even at its highest form level, you're not thinking about it right. You know? Are there like many more different like types of game theory? Oh, like tons. Oh, because it's, tons it's of so games. interesting to me. Like, so we'll have it. Um, we'll get into a little bit of it. We're sort of at our time, yeah. but we do have the block note show oh, yeah. on YouTube. Comes out usually a week after this show, but we usually carry on the conversation. So check out block notes on YouTube. But. Um, also, if you go check out theblockument.com, we'll have resources about this. Um, Yale has this cool free course mm. um, that has like a video podcast. Excuse me. I know it's on like Apple Podcasts and stuff, so I'll put a link to that yeah. on the site. Um, it's a full like full semester course wow. um, on game theory um, where they walk through again not into the math aspects. A lot of times there'll be a little math and that'll scare people off. You'll start to see like SI to the R power yeah. and be like, oh, I'm done. No, thank you. Right. Um, you can understand a lot about game theory without getting into the math of game theory. Um, and Yale has a really cool course that, that you can audit for free online. Cool. So we'll have that to learn about game theory. Then, uh, so check out theblockument.com. And where else are we? Um, we are on Facebook. We are on TikTok. Um, we are on Apple, Android, Spotify, all the places. We're on all the places at the Blockuments. Um, so check out today's show. Check out past shows, um, especially about like staking and things yep. like that. So you can see get a better understanding. And uh, other than that. I will see you on the other side during Block Notes, and we'll mm -hmm. check all of you out in two weeks. Yep, yep. All right. Come for the riches. Stay for the revolution. All right. Peace. Peace.